Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord. I just, I'm so blessed to come before you and just worship these hymns before you, to just sing just about your glory and about your wonderfulness and about your mercy and about just about what you've done for each one of us, how you've restored each one of us. Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, this is an amazing time of year that we have, this sweet December, this Christmas season, that we can celebrate your birth, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray, especially today with this message, Lord, especially today, I pray for an outpouring of your Spirit upon this place, your protection upon this message, this worship. Lord, I pray that this message would be from your heart to us, from the pages of your word, through your Holy Spirit, spoken to each one of us. Lord, I thank you so much for this, just this wonderful, wonderful time that we can worship you. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone out there that doesn't know you personally as their Lord and Savior, they would hear this today, Lord, and through your Holy Spirit, you would prompt them, Lord, prompt them to turn to you, to surrender their lives and faith to you. So Lord, again, I ask that we hear from you today. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen. Amen. If you don't have your Bibles, please grab your Bibles. You're definitely going to need your Bibles. I always say that. You're definitely going to need them. And you can turn to Acts. We are going to continue our series through Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. And, you know, it's interesting as I have been studying and preaching and teaching through Acts, I have just been so blessed and so encouraged by what I've read here in Acts. You know, as I've been studying this, I love how the apostles and the early church, they always remained steadfast in their faith and in sharing Jesus, no matter the persecution they faced. And I see this, and as I read this, I see such parallels to our world today and the church today that, you know, not really much has changed in 2,000 years in the church in some sense, right? We still face persecution, right? And we still, just as these disciples, these apostles in this early church, we need to remain faithful and steadfast in going and sharing the gospel and sharing the good news with the lost. Because I'm going to tell you, just as in this time of the disciples, the same as our time today, Satan is doing everything possible to prevent the lost from hearing that he is defeated, that Satan is defeated. He doesn't want them to know that Jesus is alive and that Jesus has defeated sin and death and broken the chains for these people. Satan doesn't want these people to hear this. He doesn't want the lost people to know that they can join in the victory, in the resurrection, through faith in Jesus Christ. Satan today, right now in this country and across the world, is using any means possible to prevent the gospel message from being preached and shared to the lost. And as we are reading through Acts, this early church, our example, we see persecution of the Christians, persecution of the church in form. And as we've been reading, it's been the form of the local government or the religious leaders. And this time they have arrested disciples. They've been interrogating disciples. Some have been beaten. They've even, we've studied, they even outright ordered them to never teach or preach in the name of Jesus again. That's what they ordered them to do. Just to catch us up real quick, in Acts, let's just look at a verse. Let's look at uh, four, Acts chapter 4, 18. You there? Everyone there? Give me a thumbs up on Facebook if you're there. Verse 18. 
So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Could you imagine this happening? A government, your government authority, your religious leaders coming to you and telling you this? Can you imagine this taking place? What would your response be if you were told this today? Think about that. How would you honestly answer that? What if the authorities came and told you, you can no longer fellowship or have church? What would your response be? You can no longer worship and sing together with other believers. What would your reaction be? What would your response be? That you're forgiven, you would be forbidden to praise and sing to your Lord and Savior. What about that you can't meet and celebrate the Lord's birth? You're no longer, you can't celebrate Christmas no more. No more sweet December. You can't worship Him. You can't give Him thanks for His birth. What would you do? What would your response be? I want to take a minute as this introduction. I want to turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll look at verses 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. In verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What do you think of that verse? What is your response to God's word? The question of this sermon as we get into this is, who do you fear? Man or God? Who have you placed your faith in? Man, the world, or God? You If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you must answer this question. You must. Fear of worldly problems, fear of the world, does not belong in a Christian or a believer's life. It doesn't belong there. You should not have fear. We are called as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to obedience of his word. As you think about your response in that verse in Hebrews, and what's going on in the world around us, I want to see the, let's, let's look in our Bibles and see the disciples' response. So turn back to Acts. We're going to look in chapter 4 again. Chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey, obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. This is our example in God's word. This is what we are to follow. This is, this is huge. I mean, you know, you read this a year ago, right? And you're like, okay, you know, I'll follow the word. I follow God, right? I'm a Christian, right? But what about today? In the culture today? In the world around us today? Will you still follow these verses? Will you still follow God's word and his commands? We, you know, as we read this, and it's such a kind of a huge thing right now, right? But the good news is we're not alone in this, are we? We're not alone. We are to follow this church's early example that we see laid before us in the second half of Acts chapter 4, which we studied last week and the week before. Who remembers what we studied? We saw that they're not alone. First of all, they came together, right? The early church, as we can too. They prayed for unity. They prayed and they had boldness. They had boldness to go out and share Jesus and the church came together, right? 
They met all the needs of their brothers and sisters and their believers inside the church. They had laid everything they had before God. And we read about there was no secrets. There was no sin in that church, right? We read about, studied that last two weeks ago. The Christians in this early church were meeting together in fellowship, in prayer, in studying his word, in worship. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they had a single or unified purpose to share Jesus Christ with the lost. Is that us today? Is that our church today? Does this picture that I just described describe you in your walk as a Christian today? Or are you living in fear of man or worldly things or maybe even something else? I'm not sure. If you are living in fear and not being obedient to God's word, I pray that anyone out there that is doing this would repent, right? You'd repent of this life of fear and you would place your faith back in Jesus, back in God, and back in the hope that Jesus gives us in this lost world. Today, we're going to be studying in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. And the question I'm asking again, whose authority, man's or God's, are you obedient to? Will you answer that question? Let's begin with reading verse 12. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. I'm sorry, I read verse 17, back to verse 12. Verse 12, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Get the right verse there. So look in verse 12. What do we see? Look at that closely. I see some men that were very faithful, right? Look at that verse. I see that they were about doing God's work and following his commands. They, you look at this. They, they weren't sitting at home, were they? No. They were saying, oh, we got to stay home because the leaders told us that we can't go out and share Jesus no more. That's not what they were doing. Um, no, they were faithful to the calling that Jesus had placed on their lives. They were obedient to the word of God. Look very closely at the second part of that verse. The first word I see when I look there, and it says, and all. A-L-L, all. What does all mean? What does it mean? There's no exception given. All, right? No exceptions given. All means all, without excuse. I know it sounds simple, right? But that's everyone, without exception, period. There's no, there's no like, all the people but these people. No, it's all. Every single Christian that is a follower of Jesus, right? So the next word I look at there, what do you see? Believer. Are you a believer in Jesus? Are you a Christian? Yes? Then what we're reading here applies to you. All Christians, right? I know this is simple, but this is important. This applies to all believers. What did the people do that proclaimed to be followers of Jesus? What did they do here? They met. They had fellowship. It says it right there in the verse, right? Keep reading. Look at that verse again. How did they meet? There's a lot in this one verse. How did they meet? They met regularly, right? So that means... They met once or twice a week. This wasn't, you know, it was regular. They had fellowship. If you are a Christian, all believers are to meet regularly. They are not to forsake fellowship with one another. Now, keep reading in that verse. Think about this. These Christians, they already knew what could happen to them for meeting, for proclaiming Jesus, right? They knew. 
They had already been told, right? They had already been told to stop preaching. They had already been arrested. They knew. So did they meet in secret? Did they meet in small groups? Where did they meet? Right there. They met openly in the temple among the people. So they didn't meet secretly in a little home church with just themselves. No, they met openly, publicly, and proclaimed Jesus. This would be like someone going to church today, right? They're meeting in the temple. They'd go there and they'd proclaim the good news. So now we've gone through that. Let's continue and look at verses 13 through 16. Then we'll get to 17. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had a high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from villages and around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were healed. Do we see any parallels in this scripture to the church today as we read that? I do. I see that it's very clear that many people in this story, right, they missed the blessing offered by Jesus because of their fear of man. In fear of the world. They miss the blessing. The blessing of having their sins forgiven and having eternal life. But some, some you read here, they turned from their fear and they surrendered and, and they believed in Jesus. It's very similar today. As a result of these disciples, these apostles, who walked in obedience and faith and continued to fellowship and continued to share and preach the gospel, others now had turned from their fear and believed in Jesus. The faithfulness of these Disciples, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, resulted in many lives that were changed forever. And many miracles, we read here, many miracles performed, even the freeing of possessed people. So what do you think is going to happen next to these disciples? Is there, all this has taken place, right? What do you think would happen? What are the possibilities? They were, they were being obedient to God, right, the disciples? Uh, many people have gotten saved. Uh, so now... Because they're obedient, will these disciples, will they be immune from worldly consequences? What do you think? What about all you? Are you obedient to God's word or man? Will we, will you, be immune from man's authority and worldly consequences because you are a faithful Christian? Because you're being obedient to God, will you be immune from persecution? Let's read verses 17 through 20 now. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. What happened? Persecution is what happened. Just as the disciples, if we are being obedient, if we are about doing the Lord's work, we all, at some point, will face some form of persecution in our lives, right? These religious leaders here we read about, it shows that they were full of jealousy. And I thought, why jealousy? Why this reaction to what the disciples were preaching? Why jealousy? And I believe just as today, humans, men, women, all those that including myself in the past, who are not walking with Jesus, who are not full of the Holy Spirit, 
usually you want to be in control of their lives, right? You want to have leadership over the world around you. You want to be in control. And even you want to be in control of those around you, even the other people around you. And, you know, they want to be, most people want to be gods of their own lives. What do you think? And the world around them, their own little gods. You know, as I thought about it, really, for most people, it's really not normal to just surrender your life to God, to give everything you are and just lay it down and say, here I am, Lord, right? That's not our nature, is it, really? The disciples were teaching that it was only through surrendering your life to Jesus, through faith, that your sins could be forgiven or atoned for. The religious leaders in this were no longer needed according to the disciples' teachings, right? They're, they're, Jesus had fulfilled the prophecy. Jesus had filled for once and for all the need for a sacrifice for our sins. So these Sadducees, they were really kind of out of a job in a way. I thought about this. I mean, I guess I think all of us could understand why these Sadducees would be jealous. I mean, you would hope they would repent of their lack of faith, right? But instead, they tried to silence the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. This still happens every day in religions around us in our world. Leaders try to silence the truth of the Bible and Jesus' teachings. And usually when I see this, it's always the same reason. is These people that are silencing the truth of God's word is because they still want their positions or they want to be important. They want to be in control or gods of the world around them themselves. But the truth is, all that we need to have is faith in Jesus. And this makes a lot of people jealous, right? It's amazing how that works. Because they aren't part of that other person's salvation. They aren't needed, right? We read there, these leaders are so upset now, they've arrested these disciples again. But God had commissioned these disciples, right, to share the gospel. So not even, we see here, not even jail could hold these disciples back. Could, not even jail could hold back the preaching of the gospel. They were told to go and continue to share the good news. You know, as I always say, to put yourself in the story. Think about this happening to one of us. Think of it happening to you. At what point, if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, would you say, enough, right? Enough. God, I've had enough. I've been arrested twice. Lord, let someone else go out and share the gospel. I can't do it anymore. Too much persecution. What is your breaking point? At what point would you stop being obedient to God's word? When is it just too much? Is it maybe like, here is it being arrested for sharing the gospel or fellowshipping? Is it maybe being poor? Because, you know, if you're really serving the God, very often we give up everything we have to do that. Maybe it's some of your friends leaving you because you're committed to sharing the gospel. Maybe it's even some of your own personal family members coming against you because you're a Christian. Maybe it's poor health because you're out there serving in some areas that have a lot of sickness. Maybe it's catching a, catching a virus. Maybe it's even death. Maybe, I thought of this one, what about the loss of a child or a family member? At what point is your breaking point? You say, enough. I can't do this, Lord, anymore. I know you've called me. I know what your word says, but I just can't do it anymore. Maybe, I don't know, I think... I thought about this, and I think the problem is that I personally, as I thought of this, I had to make sure and know more and more the God that I serve. 
to understand who he is when I ask these questions. Because as I went through all this list of different things, right, to know that the God we serve is much bigger than all of them things. Are you being obedient to this God that's bigger than all them things that I mentioned before? Let's read more about some examples here in verses 21 through 23. So, at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. You know, as I read these verses, what I see is obedience. You know, these Christians were obedient to the word of God and to the calling that he had placed on each one of their lives. You know, when we're obedient, God honors that. He really does. He honors obedience to him. These disciples, they were obeying God, right? They were busy about doing the work that he had called them to do. But these other religious leaders, they were busy about plotting their death, busy about trying to place them on trial, right? As you read this, there's some amazing details just in these few passages. This is like a great jailbreak, right? We see proof that these disciples were supernaturally brought out of the jail somehow. The door, they said, had never been unlocked. The guards were unaware that anyone had left. But when they opened the door, they were gone. I believe God did this, this jailbreak, in exactly this fashion so that everyone would know from this time to today that it was God who had freed them from this prison. Because otherwise, the leaders then and people today and the guards, they would just say, oh, they escaped. But there was no escape. You know, as I think about this, it, it sounds like my own testimony, right? It really does. There's no way before Jesus I could ever break the chains that sin had over my life. I was imprisoned. But it wasn't until I surrendered my life to Jesus in faith that I was freed from that. I was supernaturally freed from that prison. You know, as I say that, I ask all of you, do you believe in miracles today? Do you think, like we read this story, do you think this could happen today? Somebody get imprisoned in jail and then all of a sudden God just takes them out and places them somewhere else and says, go preach the gospel? Think that could happen today? What do you think? I believe so. I absolutely believe so. Could, uh, you know... I want to tell you just a real quick story that's happened to Vicky and myself. This was years and years and years ago, before I was even walking with Jesus, before I was saved. And we were driving, and we were coming down this really steep hill. And there was snow and ice, and it was probably about this time of year. Now, I know in Myanmar, you probably don't know anything about snow and ice, but uh, it was pure ice all the way down the hill. And I was in this little tiny sports car, and I started going down the hill, and I just started sliding I was just going to go free sliding all the way down the hill. And as we're sliding, there's nothing I could do to regain control of the car. And then a semi-truck is coming the other way. And I seen, as we're sliding, no matter what I did, I couldn't control the car down the hill. I saw that we were going to go exactly underneath that semi. I just, there's nothing I could do. I like looked at Vicky. I was like, hold on. We're going under the semi. And two seconds, there's no time, all of a sudden, I'm driving straight at the bottom of the hill. Looking back, the semi's still going, and we're driving on down the road. Now, how did that happen? 
the Lord had saved, saved us from that accident, saved each of our lives, because there's no doubt we'd have both died in that little tiny car against that huge, huge lorry, as some people call them. There's no doubt. And all I can say is I don't know how it happened, but I know God literally plucked us out of that situation and placed us down the road safe. And I don't know. He obviously had a plan for Vicky and I both. So we, I can tell you these things happen today. If we are walking and God has a purpose for our lives, there's miraculous things that can take place. Let's continue. Let's look at verses 24 through 25. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering, where would it all end? Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. Confusion. That's what's happening right now, right? That's what's happened, just confusion. God had just performed a miracle, and these people, these humans, they couldn't get their brains. They couldn't logically, it didn't make sense what had taken place. They didn't understand. How did this happen? I love when this happens. I love when something like this happens. That There's nothing more beautiful and wonderful when the only explanation that anyone can come up with is it's a miracle. It was God. Isn't that amazing when that happens? Have you ever had that happen where you just sit there, like I did that day that, with that story I shared, and just try to understand what happened, try to explain or justify what had happened? And the only explanation you could ever come up with is it was God. It was a miracle. I love that when that happens. Look again at verse 25. What were the disciples again doing while all this craziness were going on in the world around them? What were they doing? What are we doing right now as this whole world has gone crazy? Everybody's doing this and doing that. What are we doing? What were the disciples doing? They kept preaching Jesus. That's what they kept doing, just as we should be doing. Our world's crazy, right? Everyone knows 2020, it's lost, the world's lost its mind. But these leaders, what do they say? They, this one guy says, he wonders, when will it all end? You see that in the passage? I like that right there. Where it would all end. How many of you have asked that question lately in the last few months? When will this all end? A few months ago, I asked the same question. I always have been looking forward to like 2021 now, right? I'm like, maybe this next year will be better. You know, I don't necessarily know that it's going to be any better. I don't know what the future holds. But I do know that we are to be faithful, we're to be obedient, and we're to continue to share with a dying world the hope of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. It's not in a better new year or a vaccine. I'm not saying I hope these things don't happen or whatever, but our hope needs to be in Jesus, not in different times. So let's continue in reading. Let's see what happens with these two. Now these guys are out of jail in verses 26 through 28. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. These disciples, they were arrested again. You know, and then you read here, but... These leaders, they were still, the leaders themselves were more afraid of the people and what the people would do than apparently 
than what God would do to them. They again have brought the disciples to trial and accused them. What did they accuse them of? Look at that. I love this. They accused them of filling the city with the good news of Jesus. What an accusation, huh? Just, I mean, this could be the greatest compliment I could ever get. I hope that any of you could ever get, right? That you are accused of filling a city with the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what they're accused of. Isn't that amazing? This is, this is my goal for this city. That we could all be accused of that. Of filling and teaching to the entire city the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. That this city would be filled with the teachings of grace, mercy, and forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. That Jesus Christ wants to bless each and every person in this city. Can we pray for this kind of boldness? That we'd fill this city with that kind of hope? That in the middle of this ending, of, or I should say in the middle now, the ending of this crazy year, that this city could be filled with love that could only come from Jesus Christ. You know, if this is ever going to happen, it starts with us first being obedient and being faithful and obeying God's word. That's where it starts. Now, Peter has something to say to, this, to these leaders. So let's see in verse 29 through 32 what he's got to say. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Again, we see steadfast obedience from these Christians, from this early church. This was obedience in a fiery furnace of attacks from Satan, wasn't it? This was obedience. This is what a true follower of Jesus Christ truly looks like, isn't it? Without excuse, obedience to God, obedience to his word. Have you, I have done this, I don't know if you, have you ever placed your fear of worldly things or your fear of man higher than your fear of God? Have you ever done that? Again, if we are walking Anywhere near that line, we need to pray and just repent of that. We must obey God rather than any human authority. So as we look at this, and I'm preaching on this, again, what do you think will be the world's response to a biblical Christian that is obedient like this? What do you think their response will be? Let's see in verses 33 through 40. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to this man. Some time ago there were the fellow Thidias, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed. And all of his followers went to various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at that time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all of his followers were scattered. Verse 38. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. 
The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. What an amazing story. I see here that God has protected the disciples. You know, God is, he's just sovereign. It's just amazing. God has protected his workers when these leaders wished them dead. You know, you talk, you read about this man here. This man's wisdom, I believe, was divine. It was from God. You know, look again at verse 39. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. 2,000 years later, here we sit. Huh? Exactly talking about what this guy was talking about. Isn't that amazing? Just absolutely amazing. The gospel, Jesus, is still being preached today. Did the disciples walk away without any consequences for sharing the gospel? Did they, were there consequences for going against the leaders, even though they were being obedient to God? There was consequences still, wasn't there? They were beaten, and they were told to stop preaching Jesus once again, but then they were let go. After reading this, we know that we still may face worldly consequences for being obedient to God. Can you accept this? Kind of a difficult statement, isn't it? We know that we may still face worldly consequences for being obedient to God. We must obey God rather than any human authority, though. If this happens to you, if you were in these disciples' situation, what would you do? If you, I mean, what if you get sick? What would you do? What if someone else gets sick from you obeying God's word? What then? What are you going to do? What did the disciples do? Let's see. Let's look at the last few verses, 41 through 42. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and... From house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Will you rejoice as these disciples did? You know, this is a difficult question. That God has counted us worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Will we rejoice? Will you continue to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah? In closing, that goes back to my introduction. Satan is still today, just as he was in biblical times, using any means possible to prevent the gospel from being shared. We've just read here in Acts the persecution of the early church, the persecution of the disciples, in the form of the government and the religious leaders arresting them, putting them on trial, beating them, and prohibiting them from teaching the name of Jesus. They ordered them, just outright, stop telling people about Jesus. We read earlier in Acts 4.18, right? Who remembers that? What would you do? How would you respond if you were told this very same thing today? What would your response be? What if the authorities came and told you, you can no longer fellowship, you can no longer sing praises to our Lord and Savior, that you cannot meet to celebrate the Lord's birth, you can no longer come and take communion together and fellowship with one another? What would you do? Again, You've got your Bibles. Turn to Hebrews, back to Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to look at this again, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What is your response to God's word, to God's commands? Who do you fear more, God or man? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you a Christian? Are you part of that all believers? You must answer this question if you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus. Fear of worldly problems does not belong in a believer's life. This is right here. Fear of worldly problems does not belong in a believer's life. We are called the faith and obedience of his word. Whose authority governs your life? Man or God? Each of us have to answer that question on our own, right? We know what God's word says. So we have to examine ourselves and examine our lives and see. I can't answer that for anyone. And yes, we saw here clearly, even if we are obedient to God's word, sometimes there are worldly consequences. Are you okay with that? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time and this just not so gentle reminder from your word that we are never to forsake fellowship. That we are to be obedient to your word and your commands. That we are to fellowship and lift one another up and build each other up. And that we are the church. And that we are to continue to go out into this lost, fallen, dying world, Lord, and proclaim the good news. Proclaim Jesus is Messiah. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have saved each one of us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as each one of us hopefully would examine our lives and look at that and see if we are being obedient to the word, that your Holy Spirit would show us, Lord. But then we can see that maybe we could do more or maybe we're being obedient or maybe we're not. But whatever the case is, we can always know we're not alone in this. We have you. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will give us boldness. Just as you gave the disciples boldness to go out and preach. And you've given us the church and a fellowship of believers, Lord, to come alongside us, Lord, to come together in unity, Lord, to pray with each other, to come alongside each other. So, Lord, as I, Lord, just please forgive me, Lord, if I am not being obedient. And show me through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that if there's any areas in my life, Lord, that I am not following your word, Lord, or maybe that I'm fearing the world or their reactions to me or the consequences of the world over your commands. Show me. Reveal them to me, Lord. And then give me the strength through your Holy Spirit, Lord, to obey you and to follow after you and share that hope with the rest of the world. Lord, I just pray the Holy Spirit would use this message, Lord, that we would be, again, just go out with boldness. But we would also be encouraged by fellowship. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins, Lord, and that I can join, join in that resurrection, Lord, and someday be in fellowship with you you in heaven. I thank you so much, Lord. Please just be with the church in these times, Lord, and give them strength and give them hope. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.